Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. The art of neighboring. The art of neighboring. Of course, we're continuing our thoughts about being neighbors as God tells us to. The uh, second of the great commandments. And uh, we're looking at Colossians chapter 4. And we'll be reading verses 2 through 6 in just a moment. Appreciate each of you being here today. We're missing some, as you can see. Uh, Some are sick. Some are vacationing. And some we just don't know where they are. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time, Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. To love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm sorry. I was reading something else. Now you should answer each person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to be able to be here and to open our scriptures to be able to look at your word and understand things that are helpful for us that we might be the neighbors we need to be to the people that live around us and we pray that your blessings will be upon this study today and use us in your service thank you for each one that's here and we pray it in jesus name amen is it okay now is that Four through six? Two verse six, yeah. But where you said you all oh, get you said you read too much. I, I thought that was the rest of six. No, no, no. No, you that's a different. Yeah, I know I do. It's a different verse of scripture. I, I should have marked it off and I oh. um, But uh, uh, that second verse that I was starting to read goes with the introduction that we're about to get into. And on my sheet of paper, I didn't have room to put it down to where the introduction is. On your sheet of paper, I would have had plenty of room to have done that. And I wasn't thinking about it. Notice it says that that's from Luke chapter 10. See the end of it there? So that last part is from Luke chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. But uh, Jesus affirmed that what God desires could be summed up in two great 
commands. And we remember that. We've been looking at that now for uh, a good while now. But Luke chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now all the verses of Scripture is not in there. Uh, but uh, that's the essence of, of uh, that verse. And this is uh, the great commandment as we know it. God says that this is what we're to reorient, uh, reorient our lives around. It's the second that we've been seeking and enlarging upon. The second of the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the first. And then the second is life unto it. Notice that Jesus said that. And uh, it's love your neighbor as yourself. So the second of the great commandments is about neighbors and neighboring. And we're looking at the art of neighboring. What is art? Some of you tell me uh, we do have we don't have a microphone for that today. No. Penny was too busy doing other things. Busy as a Yeah. Okay, anybody want to tell us this morning? We've got a microphone for you. A lot of art is expression, <laughs> expressing yourself. You want to say that into the microphone? Sorry. <laughs> art can be expressing yourself through some action, I guess. Okay. Or media. Yeah. <laughs> expressing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Some people express themselves <laughs> by painting, by art. Some express themselves with poems or with writing. Lots of different ways that art is produced. Could be a statue, right? Uh, the Sistine Chapel, the uh, painting in the ceiling. Uh, you know, you can name several other things that we would say, this is art. Well, what is the art in neighboring? I hope you understand that a little better as we get through this today. <clears throat> so, I'd like for us to hear the words of the Scriptures. For us to understand the art of neighboring. The word of one who knew that he might be coming to the end of his life very soon, the Apostle Paul. He was imprisoned and now writing to believers in the city of Colossae. We call the book Colossians, don't we? He brings us into his life as he speaks. And it's filled with mission. He had a mission. 
mean, you know everyone I'm sitting? We may not recognize it, we may not think of it. When I came down here, my own church endorsed me as a missionary to Panama. I came on mission. I had something in my mind that I wanted to do. What was that? To start a New Testament church. I didn't know where. When Wanda and I came, uh, I guess it's been about seven years ago now, and spent couple of months. I had been in correspondence with Fred. I'd never met him. I met him. And uh, with other individuals as well. And at that time we thought, now it has got to be the place where we start the new work because there's so many people there and English speaking people as well. But as we got oriented to uh, Panama, we discovered that there were a lot more people in Boquete that spoke English than down there. So uh, before we left, we had the idea of going to Galega and starting the work there in Galega. I'm telling you a lot that you don't need to tell this morning, but anyway, that was the mission that we were we had in mind, and. Uh, uh, we had permission to use a church building there, a nice church building, a brand new church building. They were building it at the time that we were here. At that time, it is a, a beautiful facility. They're continuing to add to it. They even have a baptistry now. And they, they're building a fellowship hall and classrooms. And, uh, we can use that. But we thought after we looked around, that Boquete was probably the place that we needed to go. People told us that most people won't drive from the bid to the land. And they won't drive from Boquete to the land. That's what we were thinking. Halfway in between, you know, coming from both directions. Not very many English-speaking people around the lake. There's a few. But our target would not have been them. Our targets would have been W and Roquette. So anyway, uh, so uh, after talking with uh, Stan Sherwood, he's pastor of La Gracia, of Grace Baptist Church in Roquette, and he gave us permission to use their building it wasn't near as nice as the one in the way up. The building they're building now is going to be as nice. Maybe even nicer. <laughs> but anyway, mission. Going on mission. It means doing what God wants us to do. That's what we're talking about this morning. And <clears throat> the you know, Apostle Paul, as he was writing these things in Colossae, Washington's. 
was in prison and writing, encouraging individuals about what they need to do. And he brings us into a life that was filled with mission, as I said a moment ago. And he wants to remind us of our mission and what matters most in life. He sees his life bearing fruit, being on mission. But he did not have a savior complex. He wasn't thinking that he was going to go out and save the world. That wasn't his mission. What was his mission? He had a sense of what God was using him for. Not as a hero. Now, many people look at the Apostle Paul as a hero because of his influence in the early Christian churches. But he didn't look at himself like that. He didn't see himself as a hero. And he would tell us that we need to get over our complex about trying to be more than what we are as well. He saw himself as a bridge. Now that's important. A bridge gets us from one side of the river to the other, doesn't it? Or maybe even from one side of the bay to the other. Have you ever been on these long bridges that took you a long ways? But he saw himself as a bridge. And maybe, maybe we would classify him as a bridge that's a long bridge because of how much work he was able to accomplish. But any assumption that one who receives this life from Christ, this salvation from God, is superior to other people. That's going to deflate everybody. If you have that greater than thou complex, and people see you as a great somebody, you know what I'm talking about? It's going to be a turnoff. And the Apostle Paul used such phrases as the cheapest of sinners. He was referring to his previous life before he came to know Christ, of course. But he was telling us he was unworthy of any praise. He was one who simply met God in his time on the road of Damascus. And let me back up and say, you met God in your time, whenever that was. It probably wasn't on the road of Damascus, was it? 
But it was a time when God convicted you of your sins and your need of salvation and you repented of your sins and you trusted Him as your Savior. And then from that point on, you were on mission for God, whether you realized it or not. And God was calling you and equipping you and helping you to be the kind of representative of Him to a lost and dying world that you need to be. And your witness is different than anybody else's witness. Fred, your witness is a lot different than Rose's is. And it's different even than your son, Louis, or Michael, or Deborah, or Wanda, or Frank, or Penny, or mine. Because our lives are different. We, we came to know the Lord differently than other people. And God wants to use our experiences to touch the lives of other individuals. And that's really what our job is. That's really our mission. How do we bring spiritual value into a relationship that we can develop with our neighbor? How can we be God-oriented? Now that's a huge question. I want us to think about that as we continue in our study today. And there's a few key principles that I'd like for us to look at. First of all, always keep God as the ultimate motive, but never as the ulterior motive. Remember God said, love your neighbor as yourself. Some wonder, is the whole call to know and love our neighbor really just about converting them? Getting them to be a child of God? Now this is where the difference between ultimate versus ulterior is important. Ulterior means that there is and intentional something that's kept secret, concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It's when we do or say one thing out of out in the open, but intend or mean another thing in private. Ultimate, however, means the Father's point in the journey, the conclusion of where we're going, the place that we want to reach. That's the ultimate, right? And an ultimate goal is an eventual point in a long-for destination. Examples are when a person begins college, hoping to become a physician. Long road, right? 
But he has to take that first step. He has to become a freshman before he can get in graduate school. Am I right? And so the ultimate is to be a physician. But right now, he's on the journey. Another might be a kid who's playing basketball. And his ultimate goal is to be in the NBA. Or to be baseball or soccer or whatever. Football. The ultimate goal is where he's headed. The agenda we need to drop is the well-meaning tendency to be friends with people for the sole purpose of conversion. That's not what Jesus said. In the great commandment, did He say, love your neighbor that you might win them to Christ? But people think that. People construe that. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't expect any results. Now, as we look at people, we want them to be saved, don't we? We want them to become a child of God. And so our ultimate thought is that we might influence them to come to Christ. But that's not our ulterior motive for becoming friends with them. We simply want to love them because God told us to. Do you see the difference? We're called to love people. Period. And whether these people ever take the step to become a child of God, we have done what God asked us to do by loving them. Reaching out to them. Helping them. Being a friend. Being a neighbor that's a real man. You see? Jesus answered the ultimate question of why and has the ultimate answer for our cities and our neighbors. Our hope, dream, and desire is that people will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, as I said before. So sharing His glory and His impact on our lives. Listen, this is what we need to do. As we're friends with others, we simply share what God is doing for us. Not trying to get them through the four steps or five steps or seven steps to the, uh, them being saved. We simply want to share what God has done for us. And that is a very strong impact on many individuals' lives. And some of you may have come to know Jesus because someone you knew befriended you and told you about their story. How they came to know you. When I was saved, a young preacher, a Texan, 
short guy, by the way, about like me. <laughs> you know, we think of a long, tall Texan, right? Well, anyway, he was short. He was on And he shared with me his experience. And that helped me to understand what I needed to do because I grew up in church, but I was all confused about what I needed to do that I might have salvation. And so it took his influence in my life to get me to understand God's plan and how I could have his salvation. The biggest issue that challenges us in being a witness for God is that sometimes people who intentionally go to their neighbor with a message, now remember he said love, but we go with a message and we're more like a salesman. And often people act like one. That's not what God called us to do. We're not to sell God to them. We're simply to reveal our experiences. What happened to us? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul did? In sharing, he told his experience. How God touched his life. Obligation. Some people feel, oh, I'm obligated to God to go out and win my neighbor. No, we're obligated to God to go out and love our neighbor. And there is a big difference. <coughs> and salesmen certainly do have an obligation. They're obliged to their boss, to their company, to their family, to go out there and sell. Because what's hap what happens if they don't sell? They don't have any money coming in, do they? They can't feed their family. They can't put gas in their car to drive wherever it is that they've driven to to be able to sell the product they have to sell. And that's not what witnessing is all about. Yes, we do need to reveal the Lord to people through our experience, but not separate. You remember, if you've ever been to Southern, and I have, one of the things that is stressed to us is close the deal. That means if you, if you revealed your products to this individual, you shared with him the uh, greatness of whatever it is that you've got, and then you come to the end of your speech and, and you're supposed to sell them then on buying that and putting their name on the dotted line, right? And so many people go about being a witness to the Lord in that same attitude that same frame of mind. 
And that's certainly not what Jesus had in mind when he told us to be a neighbor, to love our neighbors. These approaches are more packaged than personal. Would you say that? And those individuals who are selling something many times are saying more than what they actually know. And therefore, more than what is personal or natural to them. When I was in sales, I sold wherever, I sold uh, insurance. I don't remember. Rhonda could probably tell you more about my sales career, which wasn't very good, than anybody else could. But, as a salesman, we try to get that individual to put their name on the dotted line. That was our primary objective. And it wasn't natural. It wasn't something that just flowed. Now let me tell you something. If you really know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and all you're doing is sharing your experiences with Him, it flows. It shows. <clears throat> this is your life. This is what's happened to me. And <clears throat> you're not beating them over the head with the Bible. <laughs> you're simply sharing your experience. And that means so much more than manipulating them into a decision. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Sharing your experience. See, how can they know the Lord? Well, I can tell you how I can know the Lord. I may not be able to tell you how John Doe came to know the Lord, but I can tell you how I came to know the Lord. I can tell you my experiences. What we're sharing is hope. Who's hope? The hope that's within you. It's not a pamphlet. It's not a prepared speech. It's not an argument. You see, some people come to visit an individual, maybe they're new. And they're armed with <coughs> everything they might could use to argue with this individual about being saved, about knowing God. Share the hope within you, your life story. It's our story. And we invite others, our neighbors, to understand our experience. This is where I'm coming from. This is what happened to me. 
Now, some of us may think that our lives are too much of a mess to think that we can share that with somebody and, and not have any impact on them at all. But that's not true. Our lives may be a mess. Many of us have a messy past, don't we? But our stories invite people to discover what we discover and to consider that. Everyone orients their lives around something. Some idea, some value. It may be that these things that other individuals are able to see in our lives are not as much of a mess as we think they are. Now think about this. When someone is remodeling their home, it may be a mess, right? But you know, as they do their remodeling, they're still a neighbor. We're still a neighbor when we're remodeling our lives. And I think most of us are constantly in the remodeling business of our lives. When God is remodeling your life, you're still a neighbor. So we need to change our role and discover how to find the freedom to be genuine, natural. The Apostle Paul's prayer and purpose is that God may give us many opportunities to speak and that in the same, that all who grasp this life will. Actually, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of time. Seeking opportunities to share our experience, not imposing, not forcing, but seeking opportunities to genuinely relate. We need to become those who offer spiritual companionship. Spiritual conversation and a spiritual challenge. While confronting has its place, as we see Jesus and the religious leaders who confronted him, most of the time as we deal with our neighbors, it's not going to be in confrontation. Hopefully your neighbor has to build his fence over on your side of the property. <laughs> and you need to confront him with changes that are needed. See what I'm, I'm saying? When we go visit our neighbor, it's not with the idea we're going to confront him. But, while confronting is necessary sometimes, as we see Jesus and to uh, understand the conversations that he had with individuals. Most of the time it wasn't confrontation. 
Remember his talking with Nicodemus. And simply sharing with him the need to be born again.
we're going to look for opportunities to share with them other things. Maybe they need a fence fixed. And they need our help doing it. Or you can think of many other things that where we could share with them and help them just in mundane things. But let me tell you, we're being a witness to our neighbors when we do those things even though we're not sharing our testimony. Even they won't let us share our testimony. So it involves being intentional even though not being overbearing. Not preaching to them. Not beating their heads over their Bible. Here's a valuable fact. Connection is most right in the midst of life's changes and transitions. And some of these are painful. When people are going through times of change, birth, marriage, death, or as we mentioned, relocation, we can walk with someone. And we can share with them in those experiences in their friends And we can walk with them in life's changes. And I think death is one of the tragedies that happen in life. That if we'll just be there, no, not necessarily beating them over the head with the Bible even then. But they may ask us something about life after death because they're thinking about it. Here their son or their daughter or their wife or their husband has just passed away. Where are they? This is something that's in the mind and heart of our neighbor. Let them ask. Don't go and come and be the one with all the answers. Just be there. And if they want to know, if they want to listen, they'll ask us. And again, this is one of the ripest times for individuals to make changes in their lives because changes are already happening. And a time when you can share as you're given the opportunity to do so. So, genuine connection with a neighbor involves a process. We don't start with being emphatic, reciprocal, being a hard nose. We start by just being friends. Being Colossians 4 2. This is from the New Literal Translation. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. A story I read, that's probably been 10 years ago now, that has to do with the neighborhood. Listen to 
what happened. When elderly Avery Gabor turned up missing four years prior to that time, concerned neighbors in Worcester, Massachusetts, informed the police. They contacted the brother of this person. The brother told the police she'd gone into a nursing home. Okay, that sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Satisfied with that information, her neighbors began watching her property. Michael Crawley noticed her maid. And he was calling up. And this was one of those mail drops where it went through the door. You remember when Brother Stillhouse was like that? And as he opened, or he looked through the door, he looked through the thing in the uh, door, hundreds of pieces of mail were there on the floor. So he contacted the post office told them that she had moved to a nursing home and that they didn't need to deliver her mail there to that address anymore. They'll stop delivering. Another one of the neighbor's sons took the job of mowing her lawn. In the wintertime, one of her pipes froze and burst. And when it warmed up, water began running and filled up the room, and water was coming out of the door. So they called the water department, they came and turned off the water. What no one guessed was that what they had been doing, trying to help, the neighbor had been inside her home deceased. When police finally investigated the house as a health hazard, the reason they came, they found it. The Washington Post reported that police now believe that she died of natural causes four years before that time. <laughs> For four years, they had kept up appearances around her house and no one suspected she had died. Now, I don't know about that son that he reported that she was taken to a nursing home. Well, anyway. In the same way, we may have neighbors whose lives look like life is great on the outside. Like the house. Everything is taken care of. But who are dying. How will we know? Become friends. Love them as a neighbor. Be there for them. Help them in their tragedies. Help them in their problems. Be there for them. As we close today, never would you lead us in our closing prayer? You might do that. Here. Maybe you don't have to. Okay, Rose.
Would you lead us in our closing prayer? <laughs> Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at steverwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.